Internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. Oh, do I hate this new soundboard. Let's try that again, shall we? Soundboard, you failed. Just like that. All right, let's try that again. Hold on. And the internet know-it-alls will be offended. <laughs> nope. Annoyed. We're just going to start the fucking audio wherever we're going to start the audio. Is that how that's going to work today? Oh, Jesus. What a close That know-it-alls will be offended. Really? Annoyed. Uh, and generally yeah, well, pissed no, off. Yeah, they're not going to be offended at all. Okay, let's try this again. For another thrilling episode of Mark Out Radio. <laughs> of Mark Out Radio. <laughs> For the next hour, sit back, uh, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned, though. Smarks uh, and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. <laughs> Welcome to Market Radio Goes Botch Fest, uh, episode 80 for March 24th, 1997, out of the Duluth Convention Center in Duluth, Minnesota. Holy shit. Like, I just honestly, I swear to God, this fucking day with all the tech that I've got to do this fucking shit show is just all over the place. Holy shit. And even fucking Twitch is fucking me today. All right. All right. All right, all right. If you're in chat, you just saw basically a huge fucking shit show of the matches that are going on today. So I'll, I'll try to put that in there a little more succinctly for you all uh, that watch this on replay. My bad, I, I, I guess. I mean, I'd love to just blame it all on the tech, but I don't feel like I'm going to get away with that for too long because let's be honest. Now, listen, uh, I'd appreciate it. If, if, you're, if you're listening to the show, comment on it, whatever the fuck. Uh, I would love to know uh, what you guys use for soundboards if you're into this whole podcasting thing because like my my two of my go-to apps have now stopped production and like one of them i full-on paid like i don't know how much far way too fucking much so i'm not gonna pay for a fucking soundboard anymore i just i'll run it off of my goddamn computer if i have to but uh like yeah if you use it like right now i'm using uh well let's see well let's see let's test it today Look at that. It's actually still playing. Right now, I'm using Soundbox. I know there's one called Soundboard that has a pro option, uh, which I'm not paying fucking $90 for. I'm sorry. It's a fucking Soundboard. Go fuck yourself $90. Get the fuck out of here. But the one I had before was pretty dope. Like, it would fade in and fade out of, like, from one thing to the other. And, uh, and, and by the way, when I hit play, it would start playing it at the beginning of the audio file, not like... I don't know, five seconds into it or some shit. Uh, sorry, uh, Soundbox, you're 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 getting a fucking you're not even getting a one star. If I can give you like a zero star and ruin your whole fucking business, I will because you fucked me today. And uh, and and yeah, I'm petty like that. So there you go. All right, let's get into the fucking show, shall we? All right. This is Nitro's 41st win in a row in the ratings war that is a war uh, with a three to Raw's 2.5. Last week's abysmal Nitro has resulted in the closest gap between the two companies since August of 1995. There are 
5,238 in attendance, though we couldn't find stats on how many people actually paid to be there. It's Minnesota in March, so what else is there to do except ice fishing? Um, Jesus. I just, the gate was higher than last week's Nitro, where almost 4,400 people paid to be there. So let's assume north of that, since the gate was $76,040. To be fair here, WrestleMania 13th was last night. So I expected some of WCW's audience to watch Raw for the post-pay-per-view bump in views. That didn't really materialize, though. Nitro managed to drop even farther had there been a bump in viewers for WWE uh, or WWF that would have been the end of their little win streak. And granted, it's 41 long, but it would be cool if it gets to twice that. Spoiler alert. I don't know. Uh, Jesus. I mean, the show kicks off with uh, Tony on a bump. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, you're right, producer boy. Normally, when a wrestler dies, I mentioned it on the show. We talk about it a little bit. Uh, and, you know, we go over things like that. Uh, why? Uh, did a wrestler die this week? <laughs> No, no. I said when a wrestler dies, I mention it on the show. Uh, uh, sorry, you got a problem with that? Oh, you think the New Jack was a wrestler? Oh, you're adorable. Zero point zero. Uh, New Jack is a guy that would have died on the street if he hadn't talked Ray Candy into showing him how to do six fucking moves. You know, it baffles me. Here you've got a guy who straight up killed somebody and got away with it, regularly stiffed his opponents to the point of where some of them never worked again, and we're supposed to feel bad that a bully and an asshole died. Why? I just, I'll give him this. He didn't change as he got older. He was still a bully and an asshole, so who the fuck cares? Uh, listen, New Jack was an unapologetic piece of shit. Everyone admits this freely, even fucking... Jesus Christ. Even Heyman struggled to say nice words about him. But like, the guy pretended to wrestle and accidentally cut people from ear to ear in front of their parents. I mean, if Jim Cornette hadn't given him a job, he never would have fucking worked in the industry. Eventually, though, of course, because Paul Heyman just loved to pretend that he was Vince McMahon, he hired him away from Jim Cornette to come take crazy bumps for him. Fair enough. I did dumbass shit that entertained rebellious teenagers. I'm one of them, but you know, it only lasts so long. There's only so many times you can throw yourself off of a fucking piece of scaffolding before you're kind of like, okay, well, we've seen this. Can you jack that up a little bit? Which is, by the way, that is the problem with extreme wrestling. When you see a guy get hit with a fluorescent light tube and the baby powder goes, naturally, next time he gets hit, you want two fluorescent light tubes and then three and then a dozen, and then you end up with what ended up happening in CZW, where you've got a guy that duct tapes 20 of them together to do it with, and then hurts uh, each other because, you know, that's the way that works. Uh, so here's the thing. <laughs> Rest in peace, Jimmy Sullivan. Awesome. All right, now listen. Here's the thing. There are ways that you can do extreme wrestling and protect yourself and your opponent. Because remember, this is still staged combat. I'm not saying it's fake. I'm saying it's predetermined, but it's still supposed to be staged combat. Uh, you, people get hurt, obviously, because it's fucking wrestling. and You take real bumps. But you're not supposed to legit try to cut somebody from ear to ear in front of mom and dad just because they were excited to get color in their first televised match, you fucking psycho. 
uh, New Jack apparently never got this memo, though. He just straight up stiffed everybody to the point where nobody, even in ECW, wanted to work with him. That's why Heyman had to bring in outside indie wrestlers to do spot shows and spot programs with him because they were the only ones desperate enough to put themselves in harm's way. Most of them never worked again. I even Heyman this week on Talking Smack struggled to give words of kindness on the passing of New Jack by saying that he thought that his death announcement was a hoax to sell t-shirts. When Heyman, who fancies himself a hustler, is saying that your death was originally possibly a hoax to sell fucking merch, what does that say about you as a human being? New Jack was the poster child of Arrested Development. Yes, he had some fuck up shit happen to him as a kid, but instead of trying to figure it out like the rest of the adult human population does, he carried that with him through life and took out his pain and anger on people that were entrusted to be protected by him, his opponents. There's a reason his own wrestling fed died twice and less than a handful of shows each time. And now he's dead too. Not sorry. Now, I won't ever have to hear another hot take on how saintly New Jack only committed justifiable homicide that one time. Back to Nitro and actual wrestling, shall we? Producer boy, Jesus Christ. We do a quick recap of last week's DDP Savage drama before we get into our intros. Uh, coming back to the show, thank God. The camera finds Larry the Axe Hennig in the crowd, along with a guy who has a pronounced sweat stain on his top flight golf hat. Dean Malenko defeats Conan in your first match of the night via submission to retain the WCW United States Championship. I gave that one two out of five. Uh, Cholo Heisenberg comes out to some stereotypical Cholo music. Again, this man is Cuban who was raised in Mexico, so he's basically as much Cholo as I am. Tony answers that Savage wants to uh, announces, sorry, that Savage wants the TV title and the NWO will use their win from Uncensored to give him that shot in the main event. Sorry, I got something to chat here. Uh, think maybe the drug abuse and also never-ending factor in New Jackson City? Possibly. But here's the thing. Unless he was doing drugs before he ever debuted for Jim Cornette, there's only so much you can blame drugs on when you're fucking out of your mind. I, he was a borderline fucking psychopath. He just happened to find a business that would allow him to excise those demons. Sure, yeah, drugs could play into it for sure. Later on, we're going to have Mortis, a.k.a. Chris Canyon, uh, in a match. We could talk a little bit more about drugs and different things like that then. Now, back to Dean Malenko versus Conan. Uh, WCW's small ring fucks Conan out of a couple of moves that he does here. I don't understand really why, since WCW's ring is basically a copy of the AAA's ring. It's a smaller ring than the WWF and now the WWE use. Picture in picture with a high... Six. He is fucking high as a kite. I don't know if it's dope. I don't know if it's Zanny's. I don't know what the fuck it is, but he is very clearly fucking high. And by the way, Scott Hall's not here this week, so he's either high or too drunk to be on TV. Sweet. That's how this starts off. Conan legit botches a missile dropkick in the go home fast. He was barely locked into the Texas Cloverleaf before he starts tapping out so that he doesn't look like a bitch. Post-match, there's a rant promo with Gene and Dean Malenko. Technical difficulties forced the production truck to use the arena mics to pick up the promo since Gene's mic wasn't getting through to the live feed, only to the arena. 
Malenko skirts past his ongoing feud with Six and Eddie Guerrero and instead challenges Benoit to a match at Spring Stampede because, hey, <laughs> why not, right? I, at least we're going to get a two-week build, right? Right? Back from break, Tony and Larry break down the Savage Iakea match main event. They then recap the Mortis Glacier finish from Uncensored, where Wrath made his first appearance. He'll have some time before his first official pay-per-view match, of course, but I do remember enjoying the stable and team, even though in retrospect, I'm kind of shitting on them a little bit as the Battle of the Cartoon Wrestlers. Mortis, as I said, with James Vanderberg, not to be confused with Vanderbeek, defeats Jerry Flynn, who looks a lot like James Vanderbeek, and I gave that one three out of five. Now, listen, I almost dismissed this one as a jobber match because it's Jerry Flynn, so of course it's going to be a jobber match, but Mortis did a great job of letting Flynn look good and sold a hell of a lot of his offense to, for this fucking ham and egger to keep the crowd hot, and it showed that Mortis, Chris Canyon, was a fucking pro. Now, again, unlike fucking New Jack, uh, Chris Canyon was a fucking good wrestler and how he left us is really kind of sad. Like, I don't want to bring the tempo of the show down, but there are plenty of theories out there. I lean more towards the personal demons one. I mean, he was gay, uh, which was kind of a shoot and kind of a work and then kind of a shoot again. But he, there are many people that knew him in his real life. He was gay, which may or may not led to him getting shit canned by Vince, but that was all rolled up in the drama of the aftermath of uh, Chris Canyon getting cut loose from WWE. He was either bipolar or a borderline schizophrenia case. I, I, I don't think that he was ever properly diagnosed though. And more likely his release was down to his erratic behavior rather than homosexuality. I mean, let's be honest, the industry was full of closeted gay people. Uh, I, I mean, more than even the fuck church was back in the 90s. Uh, no matter what, though, I think I think we can all kind of agree that he should have gotten the help that he needed for his mental issues, whether it was the WWE that helped him or whether he took it on himself to get some help. Uh, we've all got personal demons to fight, but sometimes they're just too fucking overwhelming and... Somebody needs help sometimes. I, this isn't a PSA, so fuck off, producer boy. Just, if you feel buried, seek fucking help. I don't have a fun 1-800 number to plug or anything like that. Just, just understand there's no fucking shame in it. Everyone needs a hand from time to time. Don't be a fucking asshole. Just get help if you feel like you need some help. Just fucking talk to a fucking guy that works at a bar if you have to. Jesus, but don't go the way that Chris Canyon did, which by the way, was basically taking a bottle of fucking pain meds. I just fucking sucks, man. It sucks. Anyways, Mortis debuts his flatline finisher after I take the fucking show of the tempo down. Sorry. Mortis debuts his flatliner finisher, which is essentially a second rope Samoan drop, but it looks pretty safe and it looks good. I'm not sure if it looks good enough to be a finisher, but it looks cool. Nonetheless, after this, we get LaParca defeating Juventud Guerrero. I gave that one four out of five. The real LaParca, by the way, makes his debut on Nitro and is so different that even Tony Schiavone notices that he's different. Why is this finally the real LaParca? Well, he finally got authorization from AAA to portray himself north of the border. How? Money. And WCW paid for it too, by the way. WCW signed a contract that would allow the real LaParca from AAA to come and perform at WCW shows. Now it was a limited, <laughs> it was a limited contract. Uh, there are a lot of different stories out there and it varies between two and three years, but whatever the deal was though, it was totally fucking worth it. Cause the park is 
gold. And between he and Hoovy, they put on an absolutely fucking epic match here. Uh, by the way, for those of you trying to keep score at home, the real Aparka did violate the terms of his contract by staying in North America and continuing to perform. So AAA tried to sue him, but of course couldn't because there's, it's very difficult to sue somebody over stealing a gimmick that essentially they're portraying, even if you give it to them. Um, I guess in Mexico, it's even harder than it is in North America. Cause you know, Vince was trying to hold up the whole Rhodes family to try to fuck him out of their last name uh, because Dusty wrestled for him for about five and a half seconds. But the real Laparca did eventually keep on performing in WCW. The fake Laparca, who isn't nearly as entertaining, would then become the AAA Laparca, and they would have trouble getting him to go anywhere because the owners of AAA would try to sell him as the Laparca when they sent him overseas to Japan or they sent him somewhere else. And of course, it would take about five and a half seconds after he got into a match for you to realize that, uh, oh, this guy isn't the real deal. He's full of shit. Um, there are a few key giveaways, but I'm not going to spoil it by talking about them. Now we're going to cover them as we keep going into La Parca in WCW, because frankly, he's one of my favorite luchadors that came in, that came North of the border during this whole shuffle. After this WCW recaps, the outsider Steiner's program up to this point, high voltage, Kenny chaos and Robbie rage defeat public enemy, Johnny grunge and Rocco rock. Um, I, two out of five. I just, for the most part, of course, because this had Public Enemy in it, it wasn't really a wrestling match. Uh, the ref allowed all four men to be in the ring for pretty much the whole match, uh, right from the moment that the bell rang. The ref also allowed um, the wrestlers to use tables. But of course, when Jarrett of the Four Horsemen had to come down to nail grunge with the briefcase, that had to be done behind the ref's back, because, you know, that would have been interference. Uh, the Mongo comes out playing up that he's annoyed, even though this is 100% how the horsemen do business. Nice booking, Kevin Sullivan. Well done. Going to break, we get a shitty pyro effect from a very small logo <laughs> just behind where the announce position was. I mean, stellar soft production, boys. Well done. I mean, just really, really good Awesome. I uh, just, woo. It was at this moment that he knew he fucked up. Thank you. Back from break, we get the Gene Ramp promo with Luger and the Giant. Giants worried that their match at Stampede uh, might put them in the ring to face each other. Luger, on the other hand, isn't worried about this because they have an ace in the hole and his name is Sting. Fair enough. I mean, this match needs to be explained by Gene as the promo ends. It's basically a four corners match, which... In WCW in the 90s means that the rules are going to evolve over time. Right now, though, it's an elimination Texas Tornado match between Luger, Giant, Booker, and Stevie Ray. What's it going to be on pay-per-view day? It's anyone's call! Oh my god! Psychosis defeats Super Calo. I gave that one and a half out of five. Not a terrible match. It was mostly a jobbing affair, though, on Calo's behalf, and he didn't do much to hide that. Hugh Morris defeats Chris Benoit. I gave that three out of five. Horseman chant here with Benoit getting a huge reaction from the crowds. And Morris played into that well. Uh, Hart distracts the ref. Cholo Heisenberg shoves Benoit off the top rope. Morris delivers the farthest moonsault that I've seen yet for the low na <laughs> no laughing matter finish and pin here. Post-match, there's a beatdown, which includes Sullivan, who is the only one stiffing Benoit, which, by the way, with cowboy boots, is saying something. Malenko comes down to save the day and gets a decent pop from the crowd. Flair, though, gets a huge fucking pop when he comes down and clears the ring. Though then, Tony Schiavone has to fuck it all up 
unannounced by saying that Flair isn't 100% and hasn't been cleared to wrestle yet. So I guess the question becomes, and I didn't ask it at the time. At the time, I was kind of wrapped up in it. But now I'm kind of asking myself, how does an injured guy beat up four members from the Dungeon of Doom, even if one of them is Jimmy Hart? How does that not bury the dungeon as a fucking stable? I, and this is Sullivan's own stable, and he's the fucking head booker. So I just... Uh, Fuck you, go away and die and leave us wrestling fans to our fucking enjoy. <laughs> Let's try this to get an NWO t-shirt promo. Buy the shirt, of course. Why not? Jesus, this time it's a Hogan shirt, which don't get me wrong. It actually kind of looked cool. If I was a Hogan fan or even passively liked Hogan, it would have been a cool shirt to have. But of course, because I don't, it really wasn't. Harlem Heat defeats the faces of Fear, Ming, and Barbarian. I gave this two and a half out of five. Now, these are the only guys still using the dungeon theme song. I oh, Why bother giving them their own theme song? I mean, they're colored guys in the 90s. They're clearly not worthy of getting their own theme song, even though Kevin Sullivan has his own theme song. So uh, who cares, right? The fans chanting, let's go Booker, also getting into the show hard. Later, they would chant for Harlem Heat as well, which the whole announced team buried. Look, listen, fuckheads, this is what you want. The Heat are the faces in this match because the faces of fear are absolutely heels all the way. Harlem Heat are kind of tweeners in a way. Yeah, sure, when they're up against white guys, they're heels. But when they're up against other color guys, they're faces. And don't get me wrong, the people in Minnesota, they know this. So they're chanting for Harlem Heat as the faces. This is what you want. So as the announce team, maybe don't bury it. I just, you know, call it crazy. I don't know. Uh, Jesus Christ. Sari takes a sweet-ass bump here, spills to the outside, and not a fucking hair out of place because she is a goddamn pro. Gene has a ramp promo with Benoit and Flair after this. Uh, Benoit calls out <laughs> Sullivan's cowardice and alleges that he jumped Arn. Flair, of course, is fucking Flair. He's still calling out Roddy Piper, but more or less, this is boiled down to Flair being Flair, which, let's be honest, is good news for everyone. Let's come on now. After this, De Medusa defeats uh, Malia Hosaka. I'm sorry if I'm fucking butchering that name. Uh, I have no excuse. In my rundown, I had the Steiner Canadians match here. So well done, online resources. Even you're burying women wrestlers in the 90s. Uh, Hosaka has a stage two knee brace on her left knee, having tweaked it several times over the last couple of months and still wanting to perform. Tony quips about how women just like to pull each other's hair and brain joins in. Oh, God, the misogyny is fantastic in retrospect, isn't it? Good grief. Tony, <laughs> the purpose of this was, of course, to start building the women's title match at Spring Stampede between Medusa and Akira Hokuto. Hokuto. Jesus Christ, I'm slaughtering everyone's name today. I'm sorry. Akira Hokuto. Aha, there we go. That's a, that's a, fuck you, producer boy. That golden voice bastard Lee Marshall calls in via the 1-800-COLLECT-ROAD report from Roanoke, Virginia. The brain cuts weren't nearly as good as they usually are. I'm not quite sure why. They've been better, and brain's rebuttal is not really that much better, if I'm perfectly honest with you. Jim Duggan defeats the Renegade. I gave this two out of five. Again, um, the Steiner Canadians match moves up the card. Why? Well, the websites I use for rundowns sometimes are run by retards. So what do you want me to say? We get a handshake to kick things off. Then Duggan throws his fist into the or his fist tape out into the crowd because he doesn't need it to beat this Hammenegger, of course. At one point, Renegade bounces off the ropes and goes to punch Duggan and then is stopped by the referee, even though... 
that's been Duggan's finisher, and this ref in particular has allowed him to use it with a fist that's all taped up. Duggan, then to really put over that he's an underbred retard, points out that Renegade ought not to do that, feller. Fuck sakes. Have I mentioned lately how much I hate blind patriotism? Like, listen, I love Canada and shit, but we've got some fucked up morons running this place, and you can't just show Canada and get me to cheer for that. Uh, maybe it's the beer. I mean, if Americans were allowed to drink actual beer, maybe they'd have the brain cells left over not to chant USA when a guy who cheats to win every match over the last year chants USA. Uh, stranger things have been known to happen. Here we go again, though. Duggan reaches into his fucking tights. How? Okay. I'm not, I'm not disparaging the man's penis. I'm just saying, how was he able to smuggle two rolls of tape in his tights and no one noticed? That's all I'm saying. Anyways, he pulls on another roll of tape, winds it around his fist, clobbers fucking renegade. But listen, to his credit, the ref here manages to look away at that moment. I don't know what he was looking at since no one was providing a distraction, but he looked off into the crowd. Awesome. Woo. And then though, the ref goes to raise Duggan's hand and he raises the hand with the tape on it. I mean, if this was a if this was a foreign object, like a horseman foreign object, which is basically just a roll of tape that they slide onto their hands, the ref would have noticed it, obviously. But you know, the, when the face does it, the super over, super duper patriot face does it. We're good. We're good here, right? Yeah, we're good. WCW recaps the Sting angle with a shitty vignette with hero music bed that turns into a little bit of rock and roll, which was really cringy. Uh, it kind of looked like some interns did it. Um, and and I, knowing that, I guarantee you that Eric Bischoff wanted to look at it before it went on the air. <laughs> After this, we get possibly the worst pay-per-view promo ever conceived of by humankind as the horsemen play up their problems in a full lonesome dove treatment for Spring Stampede. Again, why the fuck is Spring Stampede back? Eric's been trying to change the fact that this is a Southern wrestling company for God knows how long. So not only are we going to play at the Southern wrestling thing, we're going to literally put the horsemen on horses in dusters and fucking hats. And oh my God, it's fucking awful. I just, God damn it, man. I got nothing for you. Fucking awful. Now we finally get the Rick and Scott Steiner defeating the major French-Canadians match. Uh, of course, Jacques Rougeau and Carl Ouellette with Colonel Robert Parker at their ringside for them. Again, I'm going to give it two and a half out of five. The Canadians get a nice amount of heat for their national anthem spot. Got no beef with that. The match itself, though, was a little bit sloppy. I mean, it could be argued that it was on purpose to put over Rick being injured, but uh, he ended up getting the pin to further build the heat in the match with the outsiders at spring stampede. Fuck. I'm not looking forward to this pay-per-view. You just know that there's going to be a shit ton of the fucking yeehaws and the goddamn bullshit. And I mean, listen, even as a fan of it, I know that if I'm watching it, it's just going to be, Oh God, why am I watching this fucking lonesome dove bullshit? All right. Main event of the night. Prince AK is the television champion. He's going to face challenger Randy Savage. It ends in a no contest. Of course it does. Uh, for the, of course, the world TV title. I gave it two out of five as a match. Three and a half out of five as a prono because I'm not 
convinced that this wasn't a promo from the word go. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just going to grade it as a match when it's not one. Nash, Six, Vince, Liz, DiBiase, Bischoff, and Nick Patrick come down to the ring with Savage for his TV title shot. Mash memorably here using the click hand sign and talking into the live camera right back at HBK, which was a response from earlier on in the night when on Raw, Shawn Michaels put up the click sign and mouthed Hull and Nash's names. Bischoff sucks chance start up now in the crowd. Uh, the NWO is getting a surprising amount of heat. Uh, they were over in a lot of cities, but Minnesota was super into the show and for the most part, really into the faces. So uh, they reacted mostly how they were intended to since the NWO are supposed to be kind of heels. I know they're cool and kind of edgy or whatever. They're sort of tweeners like Austin. But at this point, they're still supposed to be portrayed <laughs> as, as heels, which they get cheers, which is fine people cheer for the fuck they want to anyways ddp runs out of the ring wearing a local sports team t-shirt i didn't care enough to look it up to learn anything about it i'm pretty sure it was the gophers but anyways the nwo beats down ddp nash jackknife power bombs ddp pretty safely in the ring savage on the other hand does a short elbow drop from the top rope and ddp turns and gets stiffed right in the rib cage fucking bish off though oh my god just he just couldn't leave well enough to loan. Bischoff has to get in there and show off his karate skills with a shitty round kick that almost hit Savage. So thanks, Eric. That's awesome. Zero point zero. Ayaka eats a jackknife powerbomb as well, then gets his chest sprayed with NWO. TDP gets his back sprayed with a gigantic zero after uh, Savage says that this is how we feel about him. I just whatever nash follows us up with a small nwo for life paint job inside of the zero this is a decent way to build the heat for the match at spring stampede i really fucking hate saying the name of that pay-per-view it worked it went over there was just something missing here like maybe a weapon or something because just coming down to the ring as ddp and trying to get your hands on savage isn't really smart and ddp is supposed to be well not a fucking rocket scientist but smarter than this at any rate uh, overall, though, this is a much better Nitro. The crowd was really into it. Um, they just seemed like a hot crowd right from the start, though. Uh, the wrestlers should have played more to them in uh, building them up to a boiling point. Uh, it was sort of a missed opportunity there. When the crowd is this hot, that's when you want to push the energy just a little bit more, really turn them into frantic lunatics. By the time the NWO had their main event spot, I would have expected the audience to be fucking hoarse. Still... It was a solid show, and I gave it three out of five. Now, let's see if my soundboard program will fuck me on the outro. See you guys next week. Well, that was Woo! an abortion of Thank a show. God. Should the mood take you, check out markoutradio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them.